Hello to our listeners and welcome to podcast episode 19. I'm joined once again by Sherbaz Hashmi. How are you doing, Sherbaz? I'm doing great, John. How are you doing? Swimmingly. Today, get keen, strap yourselves in. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. Uh, trendy right now, getting featured heavily in the news as of lately because Bitcoin is reaching new all-time highs. Wait, you're telling me... Oh, sorry. Wait, you're telling me that cryptocurrency is becoming mainstream now? Wait, so I'm not like a nerd anymore? Just about, yeah. Um, and we'll get into other features of how it's becoming mainstream during this podcast, namely how it's being picked up heavily by big institutional players and Wall Street. Um, I guess one good little note to start off with is this article suggesting that in total, 81,000 Bitcoin, or 0.5% of all Bitcoin in circulation, is held in the treasuries of publicly traded companies. So that's from a tweet by Masari Crypto. And the greatest value holdings within that is MicroStrategy. Um, I had noticed a number, I think it was months ago at this point, they featured in a lot of articles because of their enormous Bitcoin purchases. And so their Bitcoin market value at present is $500 million. That's one company. Wow. Do we know what they do? So MicroStrategy looks like on their website, I'm just going through it now. It looks like they're um, they're into hyper intelligence. Is that, a, is that a marketing term for something? I guess it's all about like analysis. So they say that um, MicroStrategy um, deploys analytics beyond the analyst by injecting insights and actions into the applications and websites you use every day. Oh, okay. Interesting. So it's basically augmenting. It looks like they have a product which augments data um, to like, let's say you're buying something from a website called Shoe Radley Inc. It will tell you who the CEO is, how much that company's revenue is, number of employees, and um, year-to-date sales. So they're basically, they seem like a data analytics company. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. I didn't, I kind of just assumed they were a hedge fund or something. Um, but I think that is what the majority of the rest of the companies that on this list do in that they're investment firms, I believe, for the most part. Although one's a mining corporation. They're number five in t um, on the list of publicly traded Bitcoin treasuries. But I think that paints a, an important picture because over a year ago, I don't think any of these big institutions had bought or and held any Bitcoin. And it's only as of recently that I guess confidence levels are high enough that these big corporations are keen to get in on it and maybe it has something to do with the extreme money printing that happened last year in the u.s just a slight bit of conjecture oh please yeah, yeah. why do you think it's related well let's just see how much of the u.s dollar supply was minted last year it's actually something insane this is an article on cityam.com around 20 percent of all US dollars were created in the year of 2020. And this is an October article, so even more came out after that. What? 20%. How's that oh for inflation? Gosh, that's insane. 20% in a year? Yeah. And all they did with it was bail out corporations and effectively none of it went to the 
the common person. Oof. And you kind of understand why something like cryptocurrency seems very appealing at that point, because the foundation of cryptocurrency is grounded in scarcity. The whole idea is that you've got a limited amount. I don't know. Is this some... Um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, John, I know you specialize uh, in this stuff. But um, my understanding is, I don't know if this is just a Bitcoin thing or if it generalizes across all blockchain-based cryptocurrency, but um, there is an inherent amount of scarcity whereby we already know how much exists out there, and it's just a matter of um, mining it. Um, so you know that you can't print, in fact, you told me this, I think around the time we first met, uh, you can't just randomly print uh, Bitcoin. We we can't find new Bitcoin. I think the closest thing to that is, I think it was the creator of Bitcoin or someone in the early days is known to hold quite a few like million Bitcoins, right? And I think they have one full million Bitcoin. Exactly. So the closest thing to printing more is finding this uncovered Bitcoin or someone with a massive holding starting to sell and affect the supply of the market. But it's still finite. Yeah. So that wallet is owned by the creator of Bitcoin themselves. And 1 million Bitcoin is worth $48 billion. And let's say that, I don't know, Bitcoin 20X is from there. They could be the first trillionaire. Oh, but those are like rookie numbers, man. Please. A million Bitcoin. <laughs> what is it? A million pixels? Who needs that? <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. Bitcoin is very valuable. But... um. Um, yeah, your points about its scarcity defining its value, that, yeah, indeed, is the inherent value of it. And I would conjecture that Bitcoin is gaining so much traction because of the inflation of the US dollar, which has established itself as the global reserve currency. Um, people see that 20% inflation in one year doesn't bode very well for it. And that honestly, the US Federal Reserve may be... Um, making the supply way too large and thus making it lose its value in the long term. And Bitcoin is an obvious deflationary hedge against that. So there's apparently 20% of all Bitcoin is already lost, actually. As you can imagine, in the early days when there was um, already 10 million Bitcoin running around, but people didn't perceive its um, future value. No. Because, you know, there wasn't so much history, uh, say, in 2012, when it had been around for four years, there weren't probably even too great a number of websites detailing past price movements. It might be hard to see that <laughs> no one no one has a crystal ball, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So obviously now we're saying, okay, it's gone from $1 to $30,000. It's probably going to go a bit further. 20%. Of bitcoins in existence have been lost already just from people making fault um failed transactions or losing their hardware wallets 20 percent. that's insane so you're only really losing it yeah it's a lot and i think yeah well and that in the i think it was in the bitcoin original white paper uh satoshi the pseudonym of the creator of bitcoin likely not their real name um, certainly not their real name, in fact, but um, said that any lost Bitcoin is in effect a small tax you pay to increase the value of everyone else's Bitcoin. 
A small tax. Yeah, just 20%, mate. <laughs> um, so a little bit of a cheeky side remark from them, but it is absolutely true. They're only... Yeah. And wait, just going back to your point, right? Um, I think it was also my point. Um, this currency inflation leading to people going to um, to finite resources as a form of currency. Um, I don't know if you read this article on um, Business Insider recently. Uh, but they say um, they found some um, analysts at this firm called JP Morgan. Have you heard of those guys? Yeah, and uh, they did a bit of market research, and they say young investors are flooding into Bitcoin in the pandemic, while the older generation can't get enough of gold. So it's almost like it's the young man's gold. Uh, it's reassuring that they've decided to go with the names we attribute to generations, um, saying that millennials are flocking to Bitcoin. Because I jokingly on occasion say that um, gold is boomer's Bitcoin, <laughs> well, that's hilarious <laughs> oh gosh it's it's tongue-in-cheek but honestly somewhat true yeah gold isn't finite in supply and it's not completely foolproof although when transacted between i guess um institutions who are reputable it's not really such a danger but you know you do hear the occasional story of finding a shipment container full of golden bars which are actually just copper with a small layer of gold on the outer yeah. outer layer um but that's not the the big feature the feature is that bitcoin is completely finite in its supply Set aside the fact that in 150 years, people will be mining asteroids and bringing back precious metals to Earth, platinum, gold, whatever, um, which will completely inflate that supply. Um, wow, you're really thinking ahead here, eh? You're already thinking about the astro miner. <laughs> wow, this guy's like 10 steps ahead. I was just thinking about gold being shiny, you know, and this guy's like, yeah, in a few few dozen years, we're going to have a bunch of little Elon Musks bringing back gold from Mars. <laughs> Mm. But I think the whole nature of the argument between Bitcoin and gold stems from a similar lack of comprehension that perhaps is more prevalent in older generations where it's it's difficult for some people to see value in something that is not physically tangible that you can't put your hands on and touch. It's like like money in bank accounts. I'm sure there are plenty of people who wonder why is Google and Facebook among the most valuable companies on the planet? Um, even when they don't produce anything physical or real. Well, services and services that create value, as well as, I guess, a healthy pinch of advertising. Um, but A pinch, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And you're right. So I think that part of the cyber world is lost on a lot of people. Mm. But Bitcoin is more transactable. It costs much less to do transactions than it does with gold. And you don't have to physically store it. It is superior. And if we go back to the foundation of money, even currency, um, why are we saying uh, that uh, a bill with a photograph of Abraham Lincoln on the top has intrinsic value, but the paper I am cutting from my little notebook, where I draw like a little emoji, a smiley face, has no value? At the end of the day, both of these things are just paper. 
Or let's say, hey, why are we saying that the numbers inside the Commonwealth bank account or the ANZ bank account or, I don't know, American Express bank account, why, why do these digits have value even though we know that they're just being generated and 20% of the ones that exist just were generated last year? Uh, on our previous topic, like, that's pretty non-existent. We're kind of just like making money out of nothing is, and we think that's fair. But when you say that there's a scarce, um, scarce amount of, uh, basically it's like a cryptographic puzzle. So like these, um, encrypted strings, like it mathematically works out. Like, and if you actually want to go into the maths, I tried to look into this. Um, I think it was last weekend I was sitting at a coffee shop and I was like, wow, I am really bored. What do I want to do? I was like, why don't I try create my own little blockchain? And like the maths is verifiable. Am I saying I understood it? Hell no. <laughs> <But> <laughs> maths is verifiable. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something I find that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency has a lot more weight behind it just because it's verified and scarce. And I think that anyone who trusts their Combank app over this cryptography, um, needs to get educated <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah i like i like your point though um in the say the numbers that exist on my westpac bank account balance sheet are in fact just a bunch of digits that have been received in an encrypted fashion i presume and they're being held behind a firewall but they are really nothing beyond that right they are just a, a bunch of digits that have been transposed onto that sheet according to some transaction that in the past had come through. That's not standalone. It requires the bank to invigilate and make sure nothing is amiss. There's no foul play. Whereas with blockchain, Bitcoin, it's all standalone. You don't need any centralized authority to ensure that, you know, oh, this was an encrypted message that no one else could steal from you. It, it, I think the key is simply that it doesn't, require any intervention whatsoever and that those values have tangible value on their own just by virtue of being able to fit into that puzzle at any point like if i take if i took bitcoin off the market yeah. in 2010 i could chuck it back on now sell it and i wouldn't have to answer to anyone for it and it's not political as well like think about it like this so much of this currency is political it's like oh um, if some certain, um, government comes in, in America, you get like a massive, um, stimulus or like, um, there, there are actually people there that actually decide when to devalue your currency. The beauty of Bitcoin. Yeah. We're coming back to scarcity, but it's so dissociated from people. Like it is its own thing. You don't have any actors. Like you said, you don't have the reserve banks, unleashing like 20% more Bitcoin. It's actually just what it is. And there's something so fascinating about that. You know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're almost taking control away from the humans and you, you start thinking, what are the implications here? From the humans or governments? Like, well, oh, that's a, okay. From a central authoritative, a central authoritative figure. And it makes you wonder, like, it makes sense. Like we're having we're able to anonymously keep a ledger and understand where this money has been. Like that's the idea behind uh, the cryptographic ledger. Right. But at the same point, like what are the long-term implications of this? I mean, governments seem to be worried 
Um, they're worried about the fact that they can't just print money. They're worried about the fact that they don't know who's spending what. Um, there's a lot of taxation issues here. But I believe recently there was a there was a, a spokesperson from the U.S. government quite high up. I can't quite remember. I'll try to find the quote. But they said that um, Bitcoin is unstoppable. Even if we wanted to regulate it, it's very, very hard to. If you try to regulate it, you're just going to be left behind. But I want to touch on something that you'd mentioned just before your current comments. Sorry. That, um, yeah, go You're talking it. about why do we accept that there is uh, that there is a given value to, the, say, the US dollar bill. It's just got a little face on it versus your yeah. little smiley face bill, which I grant some value anyway. Don't worry. It's certainly worth a bit more than the US dollar bill. But um, Thank you. Thank you. I put, I put my time into those. Okay. <laughs> They're very artistic. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, uh, not known to everyone, but the US dollar did have a gold standard up until the early part of the 20th century. And so they did have gold reserves, which effectively backed up the currency. And so the paper bills were representative of something and they just got rid of it. They're like, oh, we can just sell this or keep it offside and pretend that because now we're a, a relatively longstanding government, our IOUs have a lot more merit and that's been working well for them apparently um but th I think something that maybe some people foresaw others not is that you know if you if you don't have something to back it up with what's to stop you from printing 20% of your total monetary supply within one year to just solve your problems solve your problems and then we're going to end up with a <laughs> yeah we're going to have a was it Zimbabwe, right? Where they had trillion dollar yeah. notes, get some hyperinflation going and everyone has to bring a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy a loaf of bread. I'm thinking of uh, Germany, uh, post-World War One. Yeah. That's the um, you had a lot of hyperinflation there. And like, if the US dollar goes into hyperinflation, that's going to set everything aflame because I feel like a lot of currencies might actually be pegged to the US dollar. So suddenly it's like a domino effect and no one's money is worth as much as it used to be. But then, yeah, I mean, but, but would that even matter in this day and age? Like, especially with COVID, um, the way that money is handled has really changed as well. Uh, there are a lot of places that aren't even taking paper notes. Um, so adding a few extra zeros at the end of your transaction, but getting paid a few extra zeros at the end of your salary. I mean, w would we feel it as much? I mean, our savings would be worth nothing, right? Yeah, I suppose so. I just checked, sorry. So over 66 countries have their currencies pegged to the US dollar. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So if we all go, if we all go broke, we all go broke together. Right? Yeah, but okay. So this is, this is, I think, the point of why so many people are interested now in buying Bitcoin because they're seeing the fragility of- Of currency. Of paper currency that's not backed by anything. What is the value there? There's no inherent value if they can just create 20% more throughout the year. And you wouldn't expect your average consumer or your, not even your, your average human being, your average citizen to actually think that deep. No, no offense to our listeners out there. You're not the subset that I'm talking about, but we all know these people, right? We all know these people. I myself am one of them, to be honest. Like if I wasn't doing this podcast, this would have never crossed my mind. I mean... I'm very impressed that there's a significant amount of the public that are actually concerned of about inflation, especially in this day and age when we have so many things distracting us. 
like i kind of just want to know what's on netflix sometimes you know like don't you have a don't you ever feel that don't do you think you would have well this is the thing john over here has been into cryptocurrency since i've known him you know but like um what well, most people excluding john i mean would not be thinking about this I, i'm impressed society is really changing and i wonder if it's because of the rate at which we get news the way we get news like I don't know, do you have you don't have an iPhone now, do you, John? No. Every now and then, Apple News just gives me notifications on stories that I would have otherwise just not seen. So I feel like the way we're ingesting information, I know this is a bit of a a bit of a um a tangent or a diverging from the topic, but I think the way we're ingesting information is really changing human behavior. It's almost like in economics where they talk about perfect information in a market. Um, it never exists, but I think we're getting pretty damn close to it. And it's scary what implications this has. Yeah. I mean, it comes. I think that a lot of that comes down to decentralization of information as well as wealth, perhaps, um, which are both spurred on by this. Although, say you were an early adopter of one of these primary cryptocurrencies, it can have, you can see how it would have the effect of exacerbating wealth inequality. <laughs> exactly like yep i just have a few million bitcoin in the bank <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but i want to oh, but, mention this feature yeah. real quick because um you also mentioned earlier your fondness for the apolitical nature of bitcoin and cryptocurrency um yeah so to quote this forbes article titled the chinese mining centralization of bitcoin and ethereum um, despite China having had a somewhat skeptical view towards Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, there are a great deal of mining pools active in China. And a study in 2019 estimated that th there was about 65% of the Bitcoin hash rate within China itself. Wow. Largely due to cheap hydroelectricity and close connections between hardware manufacturers and mining pools with the best claim to established relationships. And so this raises an interesting question. Like, say, for instance, the US-China little clashing of horns escalates a little further, and they see that all of these American institutions are shying away from the US dollar because they think it's losing its value and buying into Bitcoin. Yeah. What if the Chinese central authorities decide... Hmm. <laughs> we could crash Bitcoin. We could overtake it, hijack it. Oh my gosh. Um, and that gives them power over the rest of the world. It's a 51% attack. You need to own more than half of the hash rate in order to do that. And if 65% exists within China, if for whatever reason that was decided to be a necessary action. Wait, let, let's work backwards a bit. So hash rate. What's a hash rate? So my understanding, oh yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah, I would say for our um, for our, um, viewers that aren't aware, but to be fair, I have no clue either. So we're all on this journey together. <laughs> I believe it's the rate at which the cryptographic puzzle is solved. Oh, and so if sixty five percent of it is done there, I believe that means sixty five percent of the mining is done, like of the total mining load is done within the Republic of China. That's massive. 
Yeah, so they have really cheap electricity and obviously a lot of electronics, nearly all of them are made in China. So they they just have a... They kind of have this massive advantage. A conveyor belt of delicious mining goods. Yeah, that's yeah, insane. That, that, can't, that can't really be defeated because of the way in which China has encouraged the world to depend on it for electronics manufacturing. So they've got themselves a sweet gig and this could give them a ton of political power. Not that they didn't have that already, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I think they'd have some sway. But, yeah, um, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thing to ponder on. I think so. It isn't completely apolitical. I think that is that is very, very um, that definitely changes my perception of things. Um, but I feel like you've had this advantage. I, I guess the cool thing, like just going back, the whole concept of mining, right? If we go back to the gold rush, uh, usually it would be. Where, where would you have the advantage there? I guess if you're near the gold mines and if you have the labor, you would be the one who's getting the most gold. Um, and this is really interesting because we're in this modern day currency where it's no longer where you're situated. It's no longer your manpower. It is your computing capacity. It is your electricity. And it is just sheer determination that gets you the mind now i don't know it's a really interesting parallel in my opinion just seeing how resource farming has changed and i'd be very very interested to see where it goes beyond this as well it's like we've completely changed with the advent of computers like would you believe that i don't know just putting things in perspective we've only had these machines since like the 70s man and now they make money for us yeah it's i don't know it's it's I'm just like I'm blown away. I don't know what else to say. I'm I'm honestly very 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 intrigued with the way that humanity is changing in such a small amount of time. Yeah, good good way to put it actually. Like personalized computers have only been really available for 30 to 40 years perhaps and in that time people have developed the ability to create a money system that is decentralized and doesn't need anyone to babysit it. Exactly. It's like and we've shifted from the miner in like um in a cave to a miner with a big control panel and a farm of servers just clicking a green button to go mine some bitcoin i think that's massive it's like not to say um previous mining doesn't exist but just this variant is mental i don't know it's just it's it's just what a time what a time to be alive what a time indeed yeah um but Hitting back to um to this whole cryptocurrency thing that we have been talking about for a while. Um, shifting away from Bitcoin, I remember we had a chat a while ago, and I and I um you're trying to get me into cryptocurrency, as you do. Um, and I was like, nah, I, I I couldn't. It's too much risk. And then all of a sudden, I went ahead and I got some I got some assets, and I felt pretty happy. And I picked up a few. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys, we've spoken about basic attention tokens before. I decided to buy a few of those, hold some of that, because I think it's um, it's a really cool concept. Uh, that ended up crashing right after I bought it. So, ouch. <laughs> um, and then I went ahead and I bought myself some Ethereum because everyone seemed to rage on about how good it was. Um, this was before the podcast, so I hadn't actually, um, I hadn't actually done my research into what this stuff actually is. Um, and then I decided not to buy, buy Bitcoin for some reason. I thought that was what all the cool kids were doing. So I thought I'm going to be a little different. 
and I bought something called XRP. I didn't quite know what it was, but I looked at the graph and I was like, this stuff's going up. And it did. It kept going up and up and up until about December of this year, where almost all of my money came crashing down in XRP. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I was like, do I actually know what XRP is? And it turns out I didn't. And then I actually looked it up after I invested in it. Cool. So yeah, um, until I actually invested in it. And it turns out that XRP, have you, you've heard of this one, right? It's supposed to be a mediator coin. Yeah, um, used for from what i've heard mostly remittance payments so used just um as a medium between different currencies for people working abroad when they send money home which makes no sense for me because i mean i feel like our platforms are getting so good this may be completely uneducated but i feel like our platforms are becoming so good that you can just exchange bitcoin for cash pretty easily these days right you don't need a mediator i i wouldn't have thought i mean I don't get the purpose of it. I mean, I under, I understand why it exists, but it doesn't really feel like, like for instance, take basic attention tokens. It's made to be a currency to pay uh, content creators, and there's a very clear purpose. Or let's take any other type of cryptocurrency. There's usually a clear defined purpose. Um, but XRP is kind of like, yeah, we're just going to help you convert between stuff. But like if Bitcoin becomes commonplace and it's easy to convert between some cryptocurrency to Bitcoin and then Bitcoin to whatever the heck you want, why do you need something called XRP? It's just a bit confusing. Yeah, I think you raise a good point um, wherein if you're analyzing cryptocurrencies, one of the first things you should have a peek for or a lookout for is tangible value. What does this thing do? And yeah, aside from that even... One of my biggest turnoffs for Ripple is that it's a privately held company, whereas all of the major cryptocurrencies that are in the top 10 for the most part are foundations, not for profits, like Ethereum. That's the Ethereum Foundation. Cardano is the Cardano Foundation, among other ones as well. Um, but yeah, um, XRP slash Ripple, been in a lot of hot water lately. Yeah, yeah. So it crashed. And I was like, what is happening here? And it turns out that there's a lawsuit in the US right now where XRP is being um, sued for violating securities laws. Um, Ripple, my bad. Let me just make this clear distinction here. Ripple is the company that owns XRP. I don't know if that association is correct, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So there's um there's a lawsuit right now against Ripple uh, that says XRP is a security and not a currency, and the CEO and founder of this um of this company violated security laws selling XRP over seven over a seven year period starting in 2013, and I believe this is the X uh, the SEC um suing um Ripple yeah. But SEC has previously assigned both Bitcoin and Ethereum as being um, currencies because they're created through mining, whereas apparently XRP is not created through mining. Um, feel free to fact check me on that, but that was um, that was what I gathered from this Economics Times article. And yeah, basically everyone's freaking out. And there seem to be secondary lawsuits coming from this as well. So one of the biggest um one of the biggest cryptocurrency brokers and listers, Coinbase, I know quite a few people go through them. Uh they're being sued as well. Uh for listing XRP in the first place. 
according to an article by CoinGeek, uh, they say, uh, it has begun. A Coinbase user has initiated a class action lawsuit against the cryptocurrency exchange, seeking recovery for consumers who paid commissions for XRP trading. It claims Coinbase's actions in making XRP available for trading violated California's unfair competition laws, and that Coinbase was aware that XRP constituted an, as an unregistered security rather than a commodity digital asset. This is a really interesting um, kerfuffle that I, mean, I don't yeah. think has really reared its head in crypto before, but it has a bunch of people concerned whether it you know, does this set a precedent for this happening to other major cryptocurrencies? Because Ripple was the third largest by market cap in the world until this happened. It's still number four. It's still really high up. But Yeah, it blew my mind. Um, th this could happen to the third most valuable cryptocurrency in the world with a market. Well, hey, be careful. You can't use a word like that. Is it crypto or is it a security? But keep going. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the... That's the big pickle, isn't it? Um, I, I dare say it has something to do with them being registered as a, a registered private company. Um, that might be a part of the issue. I think a, a way in which the other crypto foundations distance themselves from this potential hot water is by being a not-for-profit. And there are certain little rules you have to adhere to with regards to how the crypto is used that make them not securities. And from what I understand, say, take Ethereum, for example, for those who are out there are not well aware of what Ethereum does, um, describe it's described best as a world computer. If Bitcoin is digital gold, Ethereum is digital oil. I really like that quote with regards to that um, because... You can design all sorts of smart contracts to run on Ethereum and to engage with them, you have to pay a small amount of Ethereum coins. And from what I've heard, I may be incorrect, but the fact that you have to pay a bit of ETH to do those transactions apparently is beneficial in it not being classified as a security and more of a utility token somehow. Um, but there are, I, as I mentioned before, an ongoing list of f boxes it has to tick to avoid this sort of the tragedy of XRP. But, but do you know the interesting thing, though? Like, this really, like, blew my mind. Like, if it's a matter of the company that's holding this XRP, well, not holding, but the, like, the fact that it's being run by a private institution as con to a non-for-profit that should not change the fact that XRP in itself is being traded amongst individuals and it's being traded for goods and services so by like by who like you can have a thousand definitions for a term who's to say this is not a currency yes the SEC fair play but did you know that the Japanese investor sentiment is the exact opposite. Reading this article from financialmagnates.com, Japanese crypto exchanges ref refuse to treat XRP as a security and will continue to treat it as a cryptographic asset, a cryptocurrency asset. So, like, are we saying that now some countries are accepting something as a currency while other countries are not? 
accepting cryptocurrencies as a currency. I mean, we're getting into some really gray, murky waters because of how new this stuff is. Do you know what I mean? And then if it's a currency in one country, who's to say I'm not just going to sell my asset, American asset, on a cryptocurrency exchange in Japan? Like, and hasn't currency always been constantly evolving throughout humanity? We went from a bartering economy all the way to, like we mentioned, money being pegged to gold, to now money being pegged to the US Federal Reserve by the looks of it. Like, exactly. Wow, how rigid are we? Yeah, who knows how much further it's going to change. Well, we're not very rigid whatsoever, are we? I mean, gold, I mean, the gold backed US dollar was around not that long ago. And I think that cryptocurrency, like in its volatile current form, won't be used for day to day transactions in the future, but that stable coins will. Um, things that are pegged to a certain. Maybe the dollar won't be around then because, I mean, frankly, it's a, it's a little bit crazy what's going on with it. Um, but we're talking long term. I mean, I don't think the dollar will disappear within our lifetimes, but... You don't think so? That'd be a pretty radical change. I mean, what? How long are we going to live? I don't know. Say Let's 60 say we years. live to like... Ah, man. Aim high. <laughs> Let's, say we... <laughs> Let's say we live till 90. Um... I think 70 years is like plenty, man. I mean, look at how computers have come. We're, we're reminiscing over personal computers um, being something relatively modern in the last 20 years. I mean, I think society is going through a massive period of change. And I don't know. I think it's possible. I think it is really possible. Um, but it also depends on so many external factors. Um. But yeah, stable coins. When you say stable coins, do you want to um, do you want to talk us through those? Sure. So, in crypto land, there are a number of coins that are dubbed fittingly stable coins. Um, you might ascertain from the name that there's some mechanism in place that makes these coins retain a certain value no matter what, or at least try to remain really close to that. And so the most prominently used one is called Tether US dollar. The problem with them is that it's a central authority. And for every Tether coin they give out, they have to have a dollar in their bank account. And how else can one imagine that working aside from that? But as we'll get to yeah. in a second, there are some very inventive ways people have made this work. I couldn't tell you about number two, but die. Number three. Well, I've heard of this one. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's quite a miraculous invention, actually. Um, so the third most used stable coin is called DAI, D-A-I, and it always retains its dollar value, one US dollar. And there is $1.4 billion of it in circulation right now. Um, the way it works is that it is... Essentially, it is governed by what's called a DAO, a DAO, Decentralized Autom Autonomous Organization. So this is a community of crypto holders who can vote on a certain um, blockchain, which is built on Ethereum. And it's a decentralized app that basically, not to give you, give you guys a word, salad, 
as much as I can, but <laughs> it collects a basket of different cryptocurrencies for collateral. Oh, very varied in their types and volatilities, and it uses them and a series of complex mathematical ma- um, equations to prove that one die is always worth one dollar. And so it uses a collateralized basket of cryptocurrencies to balance the system in such a way that their stablecoin is always worth the same amount of money. It's actually quite a breakthrough because it means that this stablecoin is fully decentralized. Most of the other primarily used stablecoins are not. And for this very reason, I think DAI is going to be enormous in the future. It's already had a really good year. So just to be clear, how do we define if DAI is going well? Because I feel like cryptocurrencies aren't being used as they're meant to be used. They're meant to be used as currencies, but the fact that they value so fast or their volatility, it's like people are almost treating them as investments. I don't know if you feel that way too, but like Bitcoin, for instance, everyone's thinking of it as like a get rich quick scheme. But the whole concept behind DAI is that it stays stable, right? So how do we know it's doing well? More people using it, I guess? Uh, yeah, exactly that. But one, so one of the mechanisms for balancing DAI is the organization, the DAO is the correct crypto lingo for it, I guess. Right. They own their own native token, which is called Maker. It's 31st in terms of market cap worldwide. Um, So that's one of the collateralized goods that are used to bring the value of one die back to US dollar. So they just sell this reserve to increase the value and then... No. So it it has special functions in it that can either mint a small amount of new coins or burn some and so it has a so you can create new coins here with this one yeah it has a fluctuating supply which is decentralized not contingent upon anyone's commands 